You're listening to the Arts in Isolation podcast, brought to you by Asia House. I'm Juan de Lara, cultural programmer at Asia House, and we're very pleased to be launching the new series of podcasts, Arts in Isolation. Our contribution and response to the current situation we're facing with coronavirus. The purpose of the series is, of course, to entertain and educate, bringing you some of the hottest topics and cultural practitioners from around the world. This first episode of today is part of our ongoing series, Converging Paths, Creative Encounters with the Islamic World. Converging Paths is in partnership with the Baraka Trust and made possible with the kind support from the Altair Trust and the Al-Han Trust for Culture. Saif al-Rashidi, director of the Baraka Trust, has also a message to share with us. Converging Paths has been really popular and we're really excited to take it online through Arts in Isolation to reach many more people in different countries around the world. I think at a time when no access to museums is possible and people are quite isolated physically, the digital world enables us to connect, to understand and also to interact with people whom we might not have the chance to meet if we go to museums or cultural institutions. So it's a very good way of bridging gaps and doing new and creative things. Yes, Saif, you're right. And that's why today we wanted to look at one of the largest cultural organizations in the UK. And I have here with me Venetia Porter. Venetia is the creator of Islamic and contemporary Middle East art at the British Museum, where she has been since 1989. She has created two major exhibitions at the British Museum, Word into Art 2006 and Hatch, Journey to the Heart of Islam in 2012 and was the lead curator of the Al-Bukhari Foundation Gallery of the Islamic World, which opened in October 2018. Her research and publications range from Arabic inscriptions to contemporary art, and thousands of people have been very much informed by your work. So we have great gratitude for it. Venetia, welcome. And I'm very interested in learning how do you envision the possibility of including contemporary Middle Eastern art in the British Museum collections. Must have been a tough endeavor. Well, Juan, thank you so much for inviting me to be part of your wonderful series of podcasts. And I'm just really, really glad to be here talking to you, even though we're having to do it virtually because of this uh, coronavirus. And I'm just going to imagine that you and I just sitting having a coffee together in the great court at the British Museum, as we sometimes do, which is so nice. So as far as contemporary art, I mean, this is a a topic that I've been interested in for quite a long time. And, you know, I started um, really trying to even in a very small way build this collection from from as early as the 1990s. And in those days, what we were looking for was art that that connected with historic, if you like, uh, Islamic art. So the first pieces that we acquired were were to do with calligraphy artists like mm. uh, Ali Omar Hermes or Ahmed Mustafa, for example. And the collection kind of grew from there. But the, the big challenge um, even then, and actually which continues to, to now, is mm. Of course, the nature of this material is is enormous. It's not, you know, when you're talking about Middle Eastern art, whether it's modern or contemporary, you're not talking about work that necessarily has any connection with what you could call Islamic culture or Islamic art. I mean, this is a, a huge topic. But um, one of the ch challenges is if you have these collections um, of Islamic art and in, in a museum such as ours at the British Museum, how do you try and incorporate 
these uh, these works within that collection? Can you set up dialogues um, between, you know, Islamic art in inverted commas and modern and contemporary art? And so this is a subject actually that I've been um, really wrestling with for some years, but which um, really came to the fore in a sense when we opened the new gallery, the Al-Bukhari Foundation Gallery of the Islamic World, because that was the first time um, in the in the British Museum that we were actually able to have a really decent place to to put the contemporary. Um, and it's it's um, for, for people who've been to our, our gallery and I'll give you the online resources later. But, um, you know, it's in the second gallery. And at the end of it, we've got this lovely space where we do put contemporary. So so it's really a, a, a challenge as to as to how you can make these two um, kind of aspects of art, which are which are often very different, how how you can how you can make them work together. Because I'm not quite aware, was the British Museum displaying Islamic art before you arrived to the institution? Well, I mean, traditionally, uh, the British Museum, I mean, as with many museums, um, it, a gallery which called itself a gallery of Islamic art. I mean, one can mm. debate the nature of that term. You know, that's a whole nother discussion, yeah. really. But but the, um, but in in that gallery, what you had was what is called Islamic art. So that's really basically the material culture of the Islamic world, but focused on art as it was then. Um, and uh, so you take a chronological approach. You you take the art of the early dynasties, the Umayyads, the Abbasids. Uh, you you carry on and you show you know art associated with some of the you know the the, the great dynasties, the cultural moments, the patronage right up until the 19th century now traditionally um, islamic art is often thought to kind of end as it were i mean i'm using a lot of inverted commas like a lot of um galleries don't go beyond the mid 19th century because that's that it's at that point that scholars thought well actually that is the end of of that um that everything after that uh is not so interesting is often just pastiche and so on so that was a kind of rationale which actually it, it still pertains in some in some museums today things seem, seem to kind of stop in the in the mid 19th century um the the other thing that was that was happening when a lot of these galleries were were set up is that you tended to look at what was general what is generally called or referred to as like the central islamic land so that the material that you're looking at is um you know from like syria egypt iran Central Asia, and then you know you have Mughal India or Islamic India as well, sometimes incorporated, sometimes mm-hmm. separate. And so, one of the things that we tried to do when we when we started the thinking about our new gallery um, was actually, what is the Islamic world? And and in fact, you really need to look at it in a much broader way, really. And that's that's one of the things that we tried to do in our gallery was to kind of look at it from sort of West Africa to Southeast Asia from the seventh century um, until the, the present day. So when you have that kind of approach, then um, then there is your framework and your rationale for being able to uh, to include the, the contemporary within that. Which is very exciting because it's, it's amazing to see these huge organizations in the UK opening up to a new audience, to new publics. 
And I wonder if there is a strategy behind uh, the British Museum, perhaps to attract a new and younger audience, the millennials, to come on through the doors. And I see shocking exhibitions such as the manga exhibition, which you hosted, I believe, last year. And uh, do you think also the contemporary strand of your collection is also trying to engage with the wider public and with the wider audience? I think, uh, yeah, it's a really important question. I, I think there is a huge realization that we're that our audience um, is 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 wanting something far beyond the the traditional what they used to get when they came to the museum. You know, when I first joined, you know, 30 years ago now, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and and so uh, yes, I think it's very important that things are displayed in a in a way that do attract people, that make connections with 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 people. So, yes, having that amazing uh, manga exhibition uh, curated by my colleagues in the in the Japanese department. I mean, that was huge for the for the museum. And that, that brought in absolutely untold audiences who had never been to the institution before, who just weren't expecting um, that sort of thing at all. And in the same way, actually, when we did the Hajj exhibition in 2012, that brought in audiences who'd never been to the British to the Museum British. before, um, and that was actually very exciting for us. And and it in in terms of the thinking that went on for the Al Bukhari Foundation Gallery, certainly um, in my mind was very much the reaction of the public when they came to see the Hajj exhibition there, because in that exhibition were objects of daily life as well as historic objects. Um, mm. And that's one of the things we tried to do very much in the Al Bukhari Gallery was to not just tell a story about art, but about but but about actually material culture in the broadest sense. And when you think of it as material culture, you um, sort of everything is there. I, I kind of call it evidence in a sense. It's um, it's it's all about how people lived in the in the past. What stories can you tell about that? And you can do that through art, of course, but you can do it through archaeology and objects found on rubbish tips and you know that sort of thing as well as the con the contemporary stories too seems a good extra strategy then and uh, i hear that you're preparing a major exhibition for autumn this year is that right well it's an exhibition um that i'm very excited about actually it's uh it's called reflections uh contemporary uh, art of the middle east and north africa mm -hmm. and this is basically uh, an exhibition that has uh, really at its heart the collecting that has taken place in terms of the modern and contemporary uh, since 2009. And this, this is a very important moment for me and for the museum. This is when we formed a patrons group uh, called Kamiya, Contemporary Modern Middle East Art. And um, this patrons group allowed us to start to really think in, in, a, in a really much more important way about what we what we should be acquiring um, in the collection as regards modern and contemporary and so this uh, this exhibition is going to have about 150 works um, mostly collected uh, the last 10 years but some from from before as well and um, and it's going to be held in the prints and drawings gallery at the, the top of the oh, back of the museum very nice and it's a free exhibition which is very important and some oh, of the oh. Some of the exhibition will be in this room 90, but um, some other pieces are going to be included in the Al Bukhari Gallery uh, as, as, as well.
So it's an exhibition in kind of two parts, you know, ge geographically, as it were. And in terms of topics that this exhibition is going to be covering, uh, what do you think is the most important in terms of how you relate to your to your audience? And not only with the artists, but when people, as you were discussing before, that people have in their heads some stereotype or misconception about the Islamic world, and when they come in to see your exhibition reflections, what do you think is the most important aspect you will be addressing? Well, I think what I'd like people to take away with them is um, is really the range and extraordinary nature of this collection. It's a really very interesting collection because we focus just on work on paper. And that includes drawings and prints and photography and artist books as as well. And what and what I want people to really take away with them is is uh, is how extensive the material is and the range of topics that are covered. And it's nothing to do really with the Islamic world. I mean, that's you know that's that's very that's much a, a separate one. topic. You know, that's yeah, that's something else. I mean, for for me, the I, I'm very clear in my mind that I don't think of this material as contemporary Islamic art. Um, it's a debate that uh, I have a lot with with uh, different colleagues who also curate yeah. that material. Um, but for me, this is actually about artists um, working today. Um, they they will address a whole range of subjects from whether they're inspired by. Islamic art, if you like, or yeah. whether in whether they're actually talking about contemporary politics, you know, it's a vast spectrum of uh, of material, and within a a structure, um, uh, because all music, all all exhibitions have to have a structure and a series of narratives. Um, this is what I'm trying to explore. Currently, we're going through very dire situations, and I wonder what do you think the impact of this uh, coronavirus uh, epidemic is going to have on the exhibition display or even on the exhibition itself? Well, I mean, I'd like to think that, you know, by by October, we will have an exhibition and that um, that uh, hopefully this dreadful virus that has, you know, just completely turned our whole world upside down in so many ways um, is going to be over or is going to begin to be a, a, a memory, obviously not for those poor people who suffered so, so much. I mean, in terms of what it, of how artists are going to represent that i mean i think that's already happening yeah. actually yeah. which is quite quite interesting i mean the thing in terms of middle eastern artists that i think is so incredibly fascinating is is the extent to which um the ones that i encounter and whose work we have in the in the collection are really addressing Uh, very contemporary issues, you know, from often from the countries from which they come, whether they live in those countries or whether they are in in diaspora. And there's a there's an extraordinary engagement uh, with that and very imaginative ways of talking about issues about whether it's um, 
you know, the um, whether it's Palestine or whether it's yeah. the war of war, it was wars in in Iraq or the Lebanese civil wars or topics such as, you know, issues around which affect women, you know, honor killings and education and all of that. And this is the thing that drives me in terms of uh, building the, the collection is that I see these works which are just addressing these topics in such an incredibly fascinating and subtle way and so i've no doubt that as far as this dreadful corona um that uh, that there will be really interesting and imaginative things you know coming up in the in the in the future yeah indeed i think 2020 has given uh artists particularly of the middle east quite a lot of material to 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 deal with if we consider that at the beginning of the year we had the Iran-USA disagreement in early January, we had the refugee crisis in Turkey and Greece um, by mid-February, and now we have this coronavirus issue, um, it's when, when one thinks of the, perhaps say for example, the Guernica, a piece of art that captures traumatizing moments in history, um, one wonders what's going to come out from from these very creative and talented minds. And as you say, we should be very much uh, tuned because I think this has been your research for many years as well. Is that right? The, how social and world situations has affected artistic production? Well, yes, and in in a way, they you know they they kind of jump out at me these these works. So uh, it's just uh, you know the really imaginative ways uh, in which in which uh, in which an artist kind of expresses you know pain and loss and separation and and uh, and uh, exile. Uh, I think is uh, is is really is really extraordinary. Um, you know, I'm thinking of, um, for example, uh, uh, this Palestinian artist uh, Hazem Harb from Gaza. You know, he's got this amazing series which is called Tag Series, and so he's used the kind of social media thing of you know when you have when you put these little boxes um, around around people or places and you put the little tag normally you say what the place or that person is um, he's done them without um, identifying them so that you might have a picture of a of a person or a building or an olive tree with a little box around it um, and uh, so he's uh, he's he's drawing attention to that topic in this very subtle way and he, he talks about you know in his interviews about how as a as a child he loved to collect old photographs and you know and he's kept them and part of a memory and and so you know each time you delve into somebody's story um you it just kind of opens up an entire world for me Venetian, I, I i think you're also an expert in yemen is that right that was part of your your research uh, when you did your phd uh, yes, well, I'd say I'm an expert in it any longer, unfortunately, because you know this was my my PhD that I did. Yes, some time ago, I did. it was a wonderful PhD actually. It was it was about a dynasty. They're called the Bani Tahir, and they were ruling in Yemen in the 15th and early 16th century. And they they built wonderful architecture, and they were incredibly interesting historically, actually. And 
And yes, so I spent a lot of time in uh, in Yemen. It's a country that I absolutely deeply love. And even from when I finished my, my thesis, I would kind of go back there as much as I can. I became kind of tour guide, you know, in order to be able to take people around this absolutely incredible country. So I feel hugely privileged, really, to have uh, to have actually experienced being there and to have met so so many people. And of course, now it's you know it's an absolute tragedy what's uh, what's happening there. It's so sad. It's one of the. Um, it always was a very poor country, but you know it's suffering so much now. Well, really. definitely not in terms of culture, one would argue. And uh, my question is, how are you relating to Yemen in your upcoming exhibition or in your current permanent collection? How how well represented is, or if it's not, how do you think we should engage with further engage with these uh, nations or cultures that are being threatened in this in such a way? Well, at the, the moment, I mean, it's really um, something that I should have dr addressed um, long before is how to get more works by Yemeni artists in, in the collection. We have just a couple only, unfortunately, but it is something that I really want to do now. And we did a, a conference, part of the Shabak Festival last last July um, called Making Art in Syria and Yemen Today. And through that experience, actually, I met a number of really interesting Yemeni artists and and my my plan now as soon as i've i've sort of finished with the book and with the preparations for the for the exhibition is uh, is to actually um you know really try and focus on on that because it's it's really amazed me that um that when i learned through this conference that that despite all of the difficulties that people were able to make art in uh, in Yemen today, really quite important work, um, and that we all need to know about and to and to understand. And I think one of the the really the tragedies of Corona, but is that of course you know you listen to the news. Well, it is about Corona. It's not you know the rest. Everything else is on. You know, the conflicts are still going on in Yemen, in Syria. Refugees are still coming uh, across uh, to the Greek islands. Um, and, you know, none of that has stopped. And yet our focus, totally understandably, has been so much on on, on now. Um, but I think my feeling is that, that you know, as this as this continues because you know there's the, the novelty is going to kind of wear off you know we've only been in shutdown for for a week um but people are already finding uh, really imaginative ways of kind of being in touch with people and already there are a lot of really interesting kind of online resources now you can access and and virtual exhibitions happening friends in 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 dubai you know we should have been actually at art dubai last last week um and uh, there already putting these these uh, these exhibitions of the galleries on online there are other resources yeah. too and, and actually I think maybe by sitting at home and being reflect maybe one can be more reflective I think I, I'm certainly using this time to try and think more about what are the different things that I could be doing actually in the in the yeah. future yeah. rather than you know we're, we're all of us most of the time just reacting on the day-to-day -day, aren't we you know I've just got to finish this email I've just got to do this or in my case it's like oh no there's 15 emails I haven't responded to and they're all really important but actually 
with this, maybe this is a this is a time to reflect. And those of us, you know, like me, who are privileged enough to be in a cultural institution such as mine and able to 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 do things, um, you know, maybe that's that's the that's the next stage. Really, is 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 how can one put this time, this enforced period of isolation? How can we actually put that to good use? Yeah, I think those are very inspiring words to wrap up. And yes, indeed, it's a very good time to reflect, to be resilient. For example, for us here at Asia House, we rely on people coming to us for talks, for music, movies, seminars, workshops. And we had to see all activities stopped overnight. We had to reinvent ourselves very quickly and come up with the idea of arts in isolation. And what we wanted is to be representative of the different voices that comprise our cultural scene. For us, it's now a new episode of getting um, new more people, uh, larger outreach, and as Safe was saying, uh, spreading our voice, um, not only to London as we usually would do, but also all over the UK and to the world. This conversation, Venetia, had the purpose of inspiring new audiences and inviting them to also organizations like yours, like the British Museums, which are breaking boundaries. And as the museum is shut, can people access the collection online or is there any digital platform that the museum offers? Yeah, I mean, there, there's, I think uh, all, all museums are now trying to work, work out how best they can they can do this. And and yes, uh, you know, the British Museum does have um, an online platform. You can you can go into the collections on online. There's a lot of work that's being done uh, on that facility at the at the moment. In terms of um, the gallery that I that I mentioned, the Al Bukhari yeah. Gallery, we have a dedicated website for that gallery, and so that you can at least go in and um, and see some of the objects and what we have actually alongside that which is really lovely is a whole range of these um, interviews that we've done with scholars and artists and so that you can actually listen to for example you can listen to Idris Khan whose work is uh, is in the gallery at the moment this beautiful 21 stones um, and you can listen to him talking about how he made it you can and on the topic of music you can listen to to Yusuf Islam Katz Stevens, um, as, as some people know him, talking about about music and what that has meant to him as a as a as a Muslim, and you know all sorts of things. Ahmed Angawi, who made our beautiful screens uh, in the in the in the gallery, and you can uh, hear him and watch him um, uh, make those beautiful Mangura screens that uh, we're so lucky to, enough to have. So you know those are kind of little snippets. You know, like the eight ten minutes. You know, you can go in and you can listen to those. Those are those are really nice actually um so and then you know around the museums you know around the museum uh the oceania uh, section the prints and drawings uh, section also uh they've you can have little virtual tours so it's be, it's beginning i hope that along with with this um podcast we can put a, put up a few pictures as as well of the of the exhibition which would be nice i think Yes, indeed. And we'll put the link also for people to get access to the Al-Bukhari, as you were saying. I think that would be an amazing complement to the to this podcast. Um, so you'll find the link under the, in the main website um, or in the newsletter if you have received this podcast through the newsletter. 
And Venetia, I think, um, thank you so much because it has been wonderful that you shared your input with us, particularly in this time. I know everybody's busy trying to reinvent themselves and trying to come up with new strategies, new ideas. So I wish you a very successful exhibition. I hope that once all the coronavirus situation regularizes, you can also come to Asia House. It would be wonderful to welcome you and to have you as part of more editions of uh, Converging Paths. Well, thank you so much, Juan, and I'm, I'm a huge um, ad admirer of what you what you and your colleagues do at Asia, Asia House, and of course of the Barakat Trust as as, as well. And uh, and I hope that with these conversations, they start a dialogue because the important thing is that we should all be talking to each other more. And uh, maybe that's the, that's one one of the things that could happen more in the future when we when we all go back to our kind of ordinary lives that we kind of remember <laughs> that there was a moment when we had a bit more time. To, to talk to each other and that, that would be very nice and it would be an absolute pleasure to come and see you at, uh, at Asia House, of course. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you, Venetia. It has been a huge privilege and thank you all of you who are listening to our Arts in Isolation podcast. We're preparing a new episode each week, so please stay tuned. Visit regularly our website, asiahousearts.org or much better, sign up to receive our newsletter. You will receive regular updates with a range of music, recipes, and digital content to help you fight the boredom. See you all next week. Take care of yourself and stay safe. You were listening to the Arts in Isolation podcast, brought to you by Asia House. For more information, please visit our website, asiahousearts.org.